The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Um, This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season, and I'm very grateful to John McAndrew, who has been um, your guest host for the last few episodes, and um, I know he does a great job. So if you're listening, John, thank you very much. Um, we have a very interesting show today, and it's entitled Romancing the Brain in Recovery, and um, Romancing the Brain Skills are an intensive set of uh, psycho-emotional and social-spiritual kind of cognitive behavioral therapy treatments that can help um, adults and youth in their life um, to resolve traumas and conflicts through knowledge, attitudes, and skills. And I think um, what we do know is that conflict is part of life and that learning how to deal with conflict in a healthy way is really important. We also know that relationships can go through stages. And our uh, guest today is an expert in um, conflict resolution, uh, addiction, uh, managing all kinds of uh, different organizations, and she is just great at developing relationships in general with um, with stakeholders and with uh, agencies. And um, I can't say enough about Cynthia because she's my friend, and uh, we've been through a lot of professional ups and downs together. So I would like to introduce my friend and my guest, Cynthia Moreno Tui, who is the Executive Director of NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals. Previously, um, Cynthia served as the Executive Director of the uh, Danya Institute and the Central East Addiction Technology Transfer Center, and she was the Program Director for Volunteers of America in Western Washington. That's the state. She currently lives in Washington, D.C., in addition, she has 20 years' experience as an administrator of multi-county, publicly funded alcohol and drug prevention and intervention treatment centers for all ages. For over 19 years, Cynthia has been an international trainer in a variety of topics, including domestic violence, anger management, and conflict resolution. Um, welcome to our show, Cynthia. Mary, thank you so much. What an introduction. I hope to live up to your praise. <laughs> you will. I have every confidence in the world Thank in you. you. Um, I, I guess I would like to start, if you could explain to our audience how you got involved in this topic in terms of romancing the brain. That's an unusual topic. The term romancing the brain is really comes from how we use our brain in in our world situations, whether they're with our children with our significance, coworkers, colleagues, even ourselves. And I got into this because I was one of those kids that came from an alcohol and drug-infested home. And at the age of eight months, I ended up as a ward of the court. 
And for the next 18 years, I lived as a foster child or a ward of the court living in different homes, sometimes family homes, sometimes strangers' homes, sometimes on the street, and also was in a lot of legal problems and school problems. So my brain got really conflicted between uh, drugs and trauma, sexual and physical abuse and malnutrition, and... Um, and I, wa- and I decided that I wanted to go to school to become a social worker to figure out what happens to families and why does this occur. And as I was there, I began understanding that my brain was different than other people's brain and that my, my, the way I perceived things and the way I reacted to things were, were quite different than what I termed normies. And so I really went on a search to understand what, what is different about the brain, what does trauma cause, what do these situations cause, and how do you recover from them. It, I lived in over 40 homes growing up, so I had a lot of conflict and I had a lot of hurt, and I didn't want to carry it all my life. And that's where the romancing comes in, is how do you resolve, how do you understand how your brain works, and how do you resolve those conflicts and those traumas and those stressors so that you can be happy and healthy today. And that's how we came to conflict resolution for recovery, romancing the brain. Can you give me an example of how your brain may be different than someone who hasn't experienced the amount of trauma that you have? Well, so early earlier in my life, when, uh, when someone came to the door, I would be immediately f- afraid. Is this someone going to be a person who's going to physically hurt me? Are they going to sexually abuse me? Are they going to take me away? So um, in the foster care system, particularly the way it was at that point in time, they didn't even have to call ahead and say, we're going to come and pick you up. So you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so you're always on hyper alert, hyper alert uh, when you're walking down the street at night, as a kid, hyper alert even as an adult, you know, just looking, being over aware, over sensitive. And then how does that translate to personal relationships? You know, that, that fear of abandonment, that fear of trust, that fear of attachment, because who knows when that person's going to leave you. And so you actually cause more trauma in your life because you are still looking at your, your worldview is, trauma and and post-traumatic stress, you know, post-traumatic issues. You're just living it. It's, it's, your brain is stuck, and this is what, what we talk about, your brain is stuck in the, in the limbic system. The limbic system is that center part of your brain where um, emotions reside and where fight and flight, it's all about fight and flight and your emotions. And that's what gets triggered. And the more that you live your life growing up in the limbic, the more that you live out of your life in the limbic instead of living in your frontal cortex, which is where your cognitive piece is about decision-making, problem-solving, creativity, solution-focused. So that's the difference. The limbic is really that old reptilian brain dating back, you know, millions of years where it's fight or flight, dinosaurs coming down the pathway, you're going to kill it and fight, or you're going to run and flight. And much of our life in addiction and in trauma is centered in the limbic. 
Well, and that's um, that's so important because I think we all know, um, or most of us know, that when when people first start abusing alcohol and drugs, they kind of stop growing emotionally, and that um, the the part of our brain that really affects our thought doesn't mature until like 25. So there, there's a lot that can happen when people start to use alcohol and drugs in their, their mid-teens, early teens, even their late teens, that um, there's things that just don't ever get developed. Um, and so it's important when somebody gets interested in recovery, they still have to do all that work. Exactly. And so what happens if we we have those early experiences that keep us limbic centered is we tend and and we tend to do this we tend to stay in that part and anger becomes an issue uh choosing not to forgive others um is a limbic reaction losing your cool um is a can be a very limbic reaction um at the end of the day if you go back over things over and over again that made you angry or hurt, hurt, it reignites your anger, um, getting pissed off easily, um, listening to what others say, say about you, and not being able to sort out what's true and what's not true. What am I going to believe about this? What, what isn't true about this? And so I'm going to let it go. So there's, there's certain uh, things that we know that, that trigger the limbic system and that keep you there. And in some families... Even families that haven't um, current alcohol or drug issues, some families just teach their children to live in their limbic by the words and the phrases that they choose, the reactions that they have to problems, and their worldview. So if your so world... I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well no, I was just going to try to clarify this. So if, if I understand you correctly, um, when you live in the limbic part of your brain your brain is always getting lit up, much like it is when you take out a substance or, you know, you go on a roller coaster or whatever, your brain lights up. So I've often heard people say that rage is the last addiction that they give up, that um, stimulating your brain in that way becomes a norm for some people, that um, families uh, become, you know, having that kind of rage, whether it's overt rage or silent rage that, that seems to permeate some families and never gets talked about, but it's there, um, becomes the norm. Right. And what that is, is it's those endogenous endorphins going off in your brain. So in your limbic system, you have the, these this ability to, we all have it, the ability to release endogenous endorphins endogenous opioids and the hope is to release them in a positive way that that um, builds relationship and builds self-esteem and builds self-awareness those kinds of positive skills instead of what often happens which is uh, increasing anger increasing frustration uh, increasing distrust increasing detachment and so when we live in our limbic in a in a negative absolute way, like we always see absolutes, like don't you ever do that, or you never should be that way, or couldn't you be better, or why don't you do that, or how come you're always like that, but, 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 everything is a but, and you've heard that in uh, treatment circles, that's very much being limbic-centered, and if I can use my anger 
if, let's say I'm in early recovery and I'm not using my, my substance of choice. However, I'm getting angry often and I'm getting uh, raging, like you were saying, that rage is the last thing to go. It's because it's setting off those natural endorphins in the brain and it's causing, you're substituting, it's causing that person to get high. And so they're still getting high. They're still acting toxic because their brain is toxic. And so learning how to really detoxify your brain and live your life differently is the challenge. And romancing the brain is about living a lifestyle differently. It's not a technique, although you kind of start out technique-ish because it's new and we don't know how to do it, most of us. Um, and so it is that that learning a new lifestyle and agreeing with yourself that it's going to be uncomfortable at first and it's going to get better. And that the more that you do it, not only are you romancing other people's brains, you're romancing your own brain. So you're building those neurotransmitter pathways to the frontal cortex, which will cause you to learn how to slow down in the moment. And it will teach you 10 other tips that that we teach through romancing the brain. The biggest issue is learning how not to live your life in the limbic system. Which for some people, I'm sure, is a a challenge. I think it's a challenge for most Americans. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you're behind the wheel driving down the road. Right. Um, Seems like everybody's in their limbic system when they get behind the wheel. Um, You know, I I think that... um, one of the nice things about this kind of whole model is that you're taking something that most people experience and explain it in a way that empowers them to do something different. Right. And, um, and I think that that's really important because there are people who, I can remember early on, um, and I'll talk about this after we, we're going to have to go to commercial and I'll, I'll get back okay. to my story after commercial. So we'll be right back, folks, right after this message. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice of America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking to Cynthia Marino Tui, who is the Executive Director of NADAC, the Association for Addiction Professionals. And we're talking about romancing the brain and recovery and how to kind of take control of your limbic system. And before we went to break, I was going to say we often talk about people in recovery being dry, which basically means that the only thing different about them is they're not using alcohol and or drugs, but they're still irritable. They still get angry quickly. Um, you know, they're just, they're just as miserable as they were when they were using. And it seems to me like um, it's because their limbic system is still getting fired up. Is that accurate? That is accurate. It's, it's what we do is we agitate our limbic system. We're overstimulating it and we're flooding it. And so when you live your life in the limbic and you're, you're raging and your point of view is the glass is half empty and the way that you look at other people is distressful, even the way you look at yourself, then, then it causes that kind of reaction, that, that dry drunk or that, that toxic thinking. And so you can be clean from everything and still be toxic thinking and living your life in misery. And, and you don't even have to be alcohol and drug in recovery. Some people just live their life in misery because they've had such terrible things happen to them. What we want to do is release that from people, empower them, give them the ability to change their brain and to be happy. I mean, isn't that what we all want is just to be happy and healthy and have relationships with other people and ourselves that feel good and 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 make our world worthwhile. And that kind of brings up my next topic is um, because I've seen you do this training, but relationships are a key part of being able to manage your limbic system and understanding how we engage in relationships is an important part of this um, recovery as well. It, Right, right. because relationships is what we all have. We're, we're going to have them with, with other people. We're going to have them with our children. If you're a grandparent, you have them with your grandchildren, your colleagues, and with yourself. And what happens in the limbic system is that we tend to live out what we don't know about relationships in the limbic system. Most people don't recognize that there are five normal stages or usual stages that we go through in relationships. And so if you just, if, if everyone would just think for a second with me, think about the last romantic relationship that you started. And we'll start with romantic because that's what we all identify with, right? With relationships. Think about when you first met that person and you first decided to go out with that person. Did you get excited? Did you have butterflies in your stomach? Did you... Uh, make yourself, you know, you took a shower, you got dressed, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, you're, you're making yourself ready for this first date. And you're very careful on the first date, right? Like, Mary, I know, you would be careful not to drop salad in your lap, right? I'm old enough, Cynthia, that now if I drop salad in my lap, I really don't think I'd care. Uh, 
30 that, years ago, I would have, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so, or people yeah. that are insecure would still feel that way, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, we're, we're just much more careful. I mean, you know, yeah. women are more careful about not dropping food. Guys are careful not to fart and burp on the first date or two. You know, there's, there's all these little yeah. careful things because they're in this first stage, which is called honeymoon. They're trying to put their uh, best foot forward. And when, when the guy says, hey, where do you want to go tonight? The gal says, or whatever the relationship orientation is, the other person says, I don't care, sweetie, wherever you want to go. But what happens after a period of time when you're in a relationship is that you go through some disillusion, and that's the second stage. And we all have some disillusion. In the, in the first stage, you talked all night, you talked about your dreams, you know, everything was great. In the second stage, you're not talking quite so much. In the first stage, just touching hands was exciting. And the first time that you have a sexual intimacy, it's like, wow. In the second stage, it's getting more familiar. So we also call disillusion the familiar stage where we're getting ready to be more familiar we're in reality. Well, reality for some people throws them back in their limbic because once they get out of honeymoon, it's all those memories, it's all those thoughts, it's all those feelings, it's all those past experiences that start talking to our brain and saying, oh no, is this going to work? Are they going to be okay? Am I going to screw up? You know, what's going to happen here? And that pushes us to the third stage often, which is the stage of misery. And misery, misery, you know you're in misery because you, you basically ask yourself, why the heck am I in this relationship? What did I ever see in that other person? And how the heck can I get out? And that's when you know you're in misery. And every relationship that's going to gain ground is going to go through misery. Misery's natural, but different people have misery differently. You know, it, misery for one couple might be that they, they're not talking to each other. For another couple, it might be that they're not having sex. For another couple, it could be finances. For another couple, it could be that they got beat up. Misery is different for different people. They just oftentimes will recognize it. So the brain continues to be in the limbic system. It's not until the fourth stage, which very few, statistically very few people get to, is the fourth stage because the fourth stage requires you to move out of your limbic and into your frontal cortex and begin to ask of the other person as well as yourself, what do you need to be in relationship? And we look at four different areas for that. And it's only when that work is done that you can get to the fifth stage, and that is the stage of peace and calm, which doesn't mean it's always going to be peaceful and calm. It just means that you know how to work through things because of the work you did in the fourth stage. So um, why do you think it is people don't get out of misery more often? You know, I think people get kind of in this cycle, this vicious cycle of misery that they think, well, I, if, I, if I say anything, they'll leave me, or if I, don't, if I don't say anything, they'll stay with me. So depending on what your orientation is, you know, whether or not your, your script is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, make them go because I don't deserve them or I don't deserve to be happy. So if your family script is that, then you'll find a way to keep pushing them, pushing them out. And if your family script is, uh, you know what, we don't break up, we work through things, we, we have conversations, 
then you're going to work in your frontal cortex to work through these things. And the way that we teach people who have more limbic-based, we teach, we teach them to look at there are four major areas in your life where you communicate and you live with a person. And one of those is financial. And so you ask yourself and you ask the other person, what do you need to be in relationship with me financially? Does that mean that you work? Does that mean that we have separate or combined checking accounts? Does that mean we have a savings account? Do we save to go on vacation? I've worked with couples who the, the big fight is one wants to go on vacation and the other one wants to save their money because they used for so long. Now they want to save all their money. The person who, who didn't use wants to go on vacation. You know, I want to have a good time. I'm, I'm the one who's been sitting here while all this other stuff has been going on. So financial is much more than just how much money you make. It's also your financial philosophy. Do you give back? Do you give to others? Because what we know about giving to others is that if you give to others, it actually romances the brain. So we, act, we teach people what are the, the things that you can do that romance your brain and cause you to feel better about others and yourself. And so we do that for the financial area. We do that for the physical area. So physical is much more than sex although that's part of it. It's also how you take care of yourself, how you groom yourself, how you exercise. It's the physicality around you. Are you taking care of your home? Do you like lots of space? Do you like lots of furniture? Do you not? And if you're with someone who is the opposite of you and you're living in a house together, you can imagine how the limbic could be going off like three times a day, right? You get up in the morning and, oh my gosh, you come home at night, oh my gosh, and you go to bed at night and it's like, your limbic is always stimulated, so that physicality issue is very important. The, f- the third area we have them look at is the emotional uh, social. So we all have emotional bank accounts. We all have this need to feel good, and we have this need to be understood and respected. And when we're not feeling that in a relationship, that relationship goes into a spiral. So it's really learning what do you need to be in relationship with me emotionally and socially. So believe it or not, when I was younger, I was really backward and, and shy and awkward. And I didn't, you know, even today, you know, you put me at a uh, an event in Washington, D.C. with people I don't know. That little girl inside goes, oh, man, how am I going to do this, you know? And I've got this whole little... Um, skill set that I do now because I've learned how to romance my brain and I can get through just about any situation now because I've taught my brain how to do that. It wasn't that way before though. I would, I would, I actually used to cry before I had to present to people. I actually, and and this was elementary school kids, right? I'm crying. I don't want to go present to these kids because your own brain is so um, damaged by the trauma that you've had or the addiction that you've had. And then the fourth area is spiritual. What do you need spiritually to be in relationship? And for different people, it's different things, right? Not everybody's spiritual path is the same. What's important is to figure out what that is. And, you know, when people tell me I don't have a spiritual self, I don't have a sense of spiritual self, I ask them, may I? I ask them first, may I ask you? Have you had a desperate time in your life? I have not met a human being who has not had a desperate time in their life. And I'll say, okay, so you had this desperate time. What happened that moved you away from that? Or did you move away from that? 
what happened? Was it a person? Was it a place? Did you read something? Did you pray? Did you go see someone? Were you in nature? What caused that shift? And that, for some people, is their sense of spirituality and that they can build on. So these these little um, structural ways to begin to change the brain and think about other people, think about relationships that you're in, think about what they need and not just what you need. Because, you know, addiction is that self-centered me. It's all about me. And what you're teaching people is to understand me and to understand others. So it's not just all about me. You know, I think it's the other thing that's really fascinating is when we think about the stories we see and the movies we see and what we see on television, it's all about the honeymoon phase of a relationship. And a lot of people think that when that buzz is gone, that excitement, those butterflies are gone, it means the relationship is over. You're right. And so, so then they become what, what I call honeymoon hoppers. As soon as that little buzz gets gone, they're often run into the next relationship and, and they give themselves permission to do that because what do they want their brain to be? Flooded. They want their brain to be flooded with endogenous endorphins. And at, in the honeymoon is the, the biggest time that you're going to have those endogenous endorphins going off, right? And so right. people get addicted to that and it becomes a cycle. And I call them honeymoon hoppers because as soon as the honeymoon moves, so do they. And we'll be right back to talk more with Cynthia about romancing the brain after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. In your family, what is most important to you? Is it health? Relationships? How about getting along better with your kids or your parents? Maybe it has to do with losing pounds or gaining financially. Whatever the problems you face in your family, you'll want to tune in to Family First with your host, author, and speaker, Randy Rolfe. Since 1985, Randy has become the foremost expert on matters concerning the family, and she can help you. Family First airs live every Friday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Health and wellness is about making lifestyle choices that make us feel good about ourselves. It's easier knowing what to do than it is doing it. Listen to The Tams Toward a Magnificent Self Health and Wellness Show with your host, Tammy Anastasia, M.A. Tammy will explore and uncover the answers to what gets in the way of our motivation. Through her expertise and occasional guest experts, Tammy will inspire and motivate you to make realistic lifestyle changes. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Cynthia Marino Chui, who is the Executive Director of NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals. And she is talking to us today about romancing the brain and recovery, which really is about learning how to uh, moderate your limbic system and learn how to think um, more with the frontal part of your brain as opposed to the emotional part of your brain. And before we went to break, we were talking about different stages that people go through in relationships. And what are the, let's start with the warning signs, Cynthia. What are the warning signs that you're starting to enter into your limbic brain? Um, well, there are certain things that you can notice uh, that your brain is doing. You can notice that um, you have frequency of getting angry or in conflict situations that really aren't necessary or useful to your life. So it used to be, let's say, that that um, in in your days when you weren't using or in your days when life was calmer, the frequency of conflict or feeling conflict or feeling angry was was you know every so often. Now it's it's more frequent. So the frequency is one of the things that you look at. You know, inventory. How frequently am I getting angry? How frequently do I allow myself to get in conflictual situations? Some people feel better because they're they're causing that limbic system to go off if they're in conflict. So if a conflict isn't happening, guess what they'll do? Create, they'll create one. Yeah, yeah. So the frequency and the and the second area is the intensity. It's that that intensity when a situation for most people would be like a level three on a scale of one to nine, and that person's going off at a nine. So if, if everything is in an intense in your life and it's a rush, then in fact it's your limbic getting too engaged because life doesn't need to be intense all the time or your response to situations doesn't need to be at a 7 or 8 or 9 all the time. The third way is if it lasts a long, long time. You know people that hold on to their anger or their hurt forever? You know, it's in their mind. Mm-hmm. That, that, that isn't a good thing because what happens is that it dwells in the limbic system and there's no resolution. And you can't resolve trauma if it's staying in your limbic. It's, it's just not possible because you will continue to find the negative energy to keep releasing that. And instead, you need to use the energy in your frontal cortex to let it go, to resolve it and let it go, and to allow yourself to forgive it, forgive yourself and to forgive others. The other way you can tell is if you're behaving aggressively. You know, does it lead to aggressive acts like pushing or physically um, uh, tickling people too hard or being verbally abusive? Or is it passive-aggressive where you're kind of um, doing things to make people trip up? You know, so is that behavior, are you, is, is your behavior usually passive-aggressive or aggressive? 
it isn't it isn't loving. It isn't centered on others. It's centered on yourself. And so that's another clue. And I guess some of the more outside clues is if you notice that love relationships don't last long, that you hurt people and they want to move away from you or you hinder relationships at work or you hurt people at work and they don't want you there anymore. They don't want to work in your team anymore. They don't want to go out with you. They don't want to do things with you. Um, And then kind of the last thing I look at is when blame, blame comes always to other people for your own anger or frustration or hurt or conflict. When the blame is always on everybody else, you don't have to look at yourself. You take the focus off of you and you put it on everybody else. Well, that's a problem because then it's hard to get to the frontal cortex and to self-awareness and to really understanding what's going on here and what's my piece of it, what's my part, and am I willing to do something about that? I think that, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's very hard to take that step back and say, what is my piece of this? You know, because oftentimes if you're in your limbic brain, you feel you're wounded, you feel hurt, you feel like somebody's done something to you, um, right. whether that's real or your perception of it. Well, you see, that's the hardest part, is what we do is we assume, in t- assume inten- intentions of others. So I'm assuming that you're trying to hurt me. I'm assuming that you don't understand how this, this, this makes me feel. I'm assuming that you have the worst intentions for my life and not the best intentions. So that that whole thought process of about assuming is limbic-based as well because you're on what? You're on the fight or flight path. You're not on the path to understanding. You're not on the path to mutual understanding. See... Conflict resolution or learning to romance your brain is really about collaboration and living your life in a collaborative lifestyle where you're looking at what what is this and how does it affect you and how does it affect me and what are your ideas about getting through this situation or resolving this situation and what are my ideas and we're going to listen to each other and we're going to understand that you and I have different fabric. And because we have different fabric, we're, our perceptions are going to be different. doesn't make you better. doesn't make me better. It just means we have different experiences. And what we tend to do, because we're taught in our society generally to do it and often in our families, is blame the other person. Well, if they had been like this, it would have been better. Well, if only they had done that, we wouldn't be in this situation. The blame game doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't help the relationship. It doesn't help our brain. And so really learning how to stop those assumptions, stop in the moment and ask, what causes this to happen? What causes you, let's say you're in an argument, what causes you to say that? Not, you're a jerk. You're saying that to me. Stop in the moment, collect your, your brain power, Move your neurotransmitter pathways to your frontal cortex and say in a calm, relaxed voice, okay, what causes you to say that? What causes you to behave like that? How how does this make you feel when you do this? And what about me is irritating you? 
very different approach, right? Right. And I think that, that that's really hard. I think the first step is learning how to slow down your limbic system in order to engage your frontal cortex. And that's where most people have trouble. First thing is slowing down. The second thing is not assuming. Because in our society, we're taught to assume, you know, well, they, they meant to do this to you or they meant to hurt you or they meant to... And, and so those are two very specific early tips that help people to slow down their brain and move them to their frontal cortex. The other thing we know is that during addiction and trauma, we don't have very good self-control, right? We, our impulse control is very small. When you learn to use your frontal cortex, you're actually building your impulse control and you're building your maturity. So maturity in relationships don't happen in the limbic. Lust happens in the limbic. Taking advantage of others happens in the limbic. What happens in the frontal cortex is mature relationships, romantic and otherwise. So this is why you see some people who always are having difficulty or often are having difficulty in relationships because that frontal cortex isn't matured. As you were saying, you know, when you're drinking or drugging, you stop pretty much retard yourself at the level, age chronologically or emotionally, that you were at at the time that you really got into addictive use. And then picking that back up and helping your brain to grow again emotionally and mature means that you really begin to learn how to change your brain so that you can live your life in a more satisfying, mature way. What's the tipping point for this, Cynthia? How does someone get from the limbic to the frontal cortex? Because obviously it's something that's a very conscious decision. It is. It is a determined lifestyle. It is causing yourself to learn the tips, to practice the words and the phrases, to stop your mouth, which often is hard for us, right? Uh, Right. And to, to actually practice those words and phrases and to write them down because if you don't, if you don't see the words, if you don't see the phrases, if you don't say them, the new phrases, if you don't practice them, they're not stuck in your brain. And the more that you practice them and you say them and you teach people around you so that it becomes a culture of collaboration, a culture of romancing the brain. Um, and you can do that in family systems. You can do that in office systems. I used to go and um, teach leadership at Boeing and at other um, at school districts for the school teachers and the administration about how to stay in your frontal cortex as much as possible in order to have a healthy school district or a healthy school setting. Um, how do you help? Because if, if the teachers aren't doing it, the kids sure aren't going to do it. You know, they're going to mimic what the teachers are doing. And so um, if the teachers are frustrated, if the teachers are in, in stress, then that's how their brain is going to react. When Hurricane Katrina and Rita happened, we sent um, uh, we, we were sending counselors to go in and help with counseling, and I was sent to a school district. I, I, I wanted to have that experience and help too, and so I went to a school district and um, went to the elementary school. I was walking down the hallway, and I heard this teacher screaming at this third grade class. And I walked in, and I just said, "Hi, I'm Cynthia, and I'm here on duty." 
how's it going? In a nice, calm voice. And she turned around and looked at me, and she had to slow herself down. And then I just, through behavior, taught, you know, walked her through slowing herself down, her heartbeat, her blood pressure, her talk, her, her verbal pressure and what she was saying, and then just talked about how then she could do that with the students. And literally, in a half hour, she was slowed down and so were the students. So we, we cause this sometimes in other people not even knowing that we're causing it. So it's really learning how to do, to, to learn those tips and to practice those tips and to live them. And we'll be right back after this commercial for more of Romancing Our Brain in Recovery. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Maybe there is something to a 3,000-year-old healing system. Tune in every week to Holistic Healing with Herbs and Chinese Medicine with hosts Michelle Collins and Andres Figara. Herbs, acupuncture, qigong, and food can work together to treat most chronic and acute health problems. Michelle and Andres will present discoveries intended to enhance your health. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ancient therapies can help you in modern times. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today, and we're talking with Cynthia Moreno-Tui, who's the Executive Director of NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals. We're talking about romancing the brain and recovery, which is really about how to um, have a mature frontal cortex, uh, mature relationships, how to deal with conflict in a manner that is um, productive. And um, I think also just about how to be more comfortable in your own skin. So, um, Cynthia, you were talking, I know I've heard you um, do this this presentation at workshops, and you were talking, I know there are agreements that are part of, of this process. Could you share with our listeners what those agreements are? Right. So there are four agreements, and they're based on 
those four areas that we talk to people about considering. So the first area is the financial. So the agreement would be what do you need? What do you need to live on um, in your relationship? What's your expectation from each other about work and money? What's your expectation about retirement and vacation, as we talked about? What's your expectation about a budget? And we actually work with people on budgets because, as you know, you know that's a big reason why people break up and have difficulty is over money mm-hmm. and over credit cards. So we, 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 we work through all of those pieces about financial, and we have each person or they can do it themselves. They don't have to have a counselor do it. Write down what are their agreements about financial in each of those areas. Um, and, and that includes financial philosophy because some people come from homes where there was enough money to live on and other people come from homes where they had to struggle with money and so that leads to a different philosophy and often that leads to blaming the other person. And so we have them dig a little bit deeper and say, well, who taught you? what you believe about money, and what are the rules. Because if you don't know the rules, it's really hard to live them. And couples have this expectation that you should know what the rules are, right? Well, we don't. We don't always know what the rules are. Read my mind. Read my mind. What's the matter with you? And then then the second area, the, the physical agreements, are what we ask them to look at. You know, what is your expectation for sexual relationship? Um, some people, you know, the, the old movie Annie Hall, where Woody Allen said to the psychiatrist, we never have sex. It's three times a week. And then Diane Keaton said to the psycholo- psychiatrist, we always have sex. It's three times a week. <laughs> well, what was true is that it was three times a week. Right, right. The, per- the perception, you know, and so yeah. that, that whole physical um, intimacy expectation is important. The physical exercise piece, particularly for folks in early recovery, well, all of our recovery, physical exercise is so important because it does cause the limbic in a natural, positive way to send off um, those endogenous endorphins. So we, we talk about how important that is, you know, and, and keeping up your physical space and understanding what your needs are about physical space. What what are your needs around physical intimacy? Is it okay to push and shove? Is it okay to scratch and hit? Is it okay to beat somebody up? Um, and what are those boundaries that are important to you? And oftentimes women and men who have been sexually abused have a different body bubble size than someone who hasn't. And so somebody who's been abused tends to have a bigger body bubble. So... Sometimes when you get too close into that body bubble, it kind of bursts into an anger episode. And so just having agreements about that, all those physicality issues are really important. That third area is the emotional, social, psychological agreements. And so we actually have them, again, write down the physical agreements. And then we have them move to the emotional, social agreements where they both talk about what do you need uh, emotionally, are there certain times of the year or seasons that it's more difficult for you emotionally? Was there loss in your life, death, divorce, accidents? You know, are there times where you just feel naturally that you need more support? Um, do you have times when you really need your partner to listen? Maybe just to be held. Um, 
feeling that positive emotional support is really important. Do you expect unconditional love and support, or do you expect to to have to fight every moment of your relationship in order to keep it, which will cause a different limbic reaction in that relationship? Um, and then at the end of the day, what do you do if you're angry? Do you end your day in that anger? Do you pass it on to the weekend? Or do you have an agreement about how you're going to handle that anger so that you're not going to bed on your on your anger? Because what we know is that the limbic system will take that anger and play with it all night long. And so it doesn't resolve it in your brain, actually. It actually agitates it, and it irritates it, and it lights it up, as you were saying. You know, that limbic part of your brain is lit up all night long, and you're not going to have good rest. And in the morning, when you look at that other person, you're about ready to kill them. So um, it's really making those agreements so that you're living your life and romancing your brain. And then the fourth area was the spiritual. What's your agreement about what what does spirituality mean to you and how do you express it and how is it okay to express it with each other? How is your partner involved in your spirituality? What is your source of strength? Do you do this together? Do you do it separately? Are you a reader, so you're reading spiritual things? Are you a person that prays or worships? Or are you a person who has other spiritual expectations? And what are those? And the big thing is that the the couple sits down together and they write out each of these areas and what they need. And then they match them up and they see where are the agreements and, and where are they not? And is there some agreement to collaborate? Like, I can I can be a little bit more this way Maybe there's an agreement that you can be more that way. And then they write them and put them on their, their dresser, maybe frame it, so that when there's a disagreement, what instead of blaming each other, what they can do is go to this agreement and say, I think we're slipping a little bit here. Or I think we need to pay a little more attention to this area. What do you think? Do you, are you feeling that too? Instead of saying, you know, you're just being a jerk again, and I've told you a thousand times, quit doing that which only makes that limbic go off. Instead, they're saying, you know, let's go back to our agreements and see what we can do to make them stronger. And so it takes blame and shame out of the relationship, which, which, as we know, destroys relationships. How do people find out more about this, Cynthia? Is there a website or a book or trainings? Or well, We do trainings. We train people on, uh, we have a two-day intensive training for people on how to change their brain, and they actually can then uh, get a certificate to facilitate that. We do trainings for trainers, and um, we, we have a counselor's workbook uh, and, a, and a participant, we have a, a, sorry, a counselor's or person's training manual and then a participant's workbook so that you can actually help yourself or help others work through the trauma that, that continues to feed the limbic. And, and in the future... We're going to have a uh, self-help book that uh, will be open to, to everyone that will hopefully be easier reading than what the um, counselor's manual is. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about this? Well, my email is Cynthia, uh, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A, at NADAC, and that's N-A-A-D-A-C dot org. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Well, it sounds like you should take this to Congress. 
just you know, go over to Capitol Hill and sit those people down. <laughs> you are so right. We have such a limbic Congress right now, right? They're just so fighting. They're living in their limbic, and they're not helping our country resolve issues because they're not being mindful, right? This is part of this no. that has some mindfulness to it, and no. they need to slow their limbic down and listen to each other and look for... The, the, the bottom line is when you live your life in uh, romancing your brain, you look towards mutual respect, mutual understanding, and mutual benefit. So it's a win-win, and that's the philosophy. We both can win. We don't have to lose. Um, thank you so much for spending this hour with us and um, sharing with us a bit about romancing the brain and recovery. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope all of our listeners have a great week, too. Yes. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, everyone, for being part of this. Mary, thanks for the work you do on this radio show. I, I think it's so powerful. Thank you, Cynthia. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.